another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a rising talent in the saxophone world, Alexa Tarantino. Alexa, thank you for joining us today. How are you thank doing? Thank you. Hi, Leander. Great. How are you? I can't complain. Uh, could you please introduce yourself to the people, please? Yes, to the people. I am Alexa Tarantino. I am uh, living in New York City. I'm a saxophonist, woodwind doubler, composer, educator, uh, originally from Connecticut. And I've been in the city for about five years now. Um, just released my second release as a leader for Positone Records. And um, yeah, been so in the five years, I guess I started uh, started out playing with Sherry Miracle and the Diva Jazz Orchestra. And since then, um, had the opportunities to tour with people like Wynton Marcellus and the Jazz and Lincoln Center Orchestra, Wynton Marcellus Septet, um, Arturo Farrell, Afro-Latin Jazz Orchestra, and uh, do a lot of work with Cecile McLaurin-Salvant and Darcy James Argue. But uh, this this current release is my quartet and um, also a big educator. I studied at the Eastman School of Music for jazz, saxophone performance, and music education, and a little bit of a music business certificate in there, and then uh, moved to New York, and a couple years later joined the master's program at the Juilliard School. And I'm an educator for Jazz at Lincoln Center and run my own summer jazz workshop, uh, which, of course, due to COVID is canceled, but uh, I'm doing some stuff online. So, yeah. That's an impressive resume. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, question about that. So, oh, yeah, by the way, congratulations on your critic polls. Thank you made you. top 10, I believe, not top five of jazz times. Right. I know. I was so shocked. I was like, top five? What is this? This is crazy. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I must say, your second, I mean, your latest release album, I like so much better than Wind of Change. Oh, so, thank you. Could you tell us a bit about that? Of course. Yeah. So, uh, Clarity, this, this release, um, it's all... I guess Winds of Change was sort of a collection of music from from several years in the making. And so this record was all put together within the year and like new music wise. And it just, uh, I think the title really focuses on kind of forging ahead with your own artistic voice. So I think the idea there is sort of like, I've been fortunate to work with so many amazing people as a side woman and um, I love to, you know, just be working in a variety of styles and ensembles and have many different, you know, many different avenues that I'm working in. But at the end of the day, this was sort of about like following my own voice and making a statement that um, I'm going to keep doing that. And uh, especially, you know, in terms of the instruments that I played, I played flute and alto flute, soprano saxophone and alto saxophone. And that's a really big thing for me. I love woodwind doubling. And um, so that was sort of a, another part of the statement, um, deciding to take an active step, like playing those instruments in a creative improvisation setting, not just in, you know, like a big band setting. Uh, no, you opened the album on the flute, I believe, which is something yeah. I wasn't expecting, which <laughs> is what, no, that's what caught my attention from the get go. So I got to say, I'm proud, or I should say, I'm, 
I loved it. Okay. Thank just, you. I've it. never met you and you were going to say you're proud of me. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. So question for you, Dal. Okay. Yes. So being in the real world and the academia world, mm-hmm. what is something that you learned from both? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I guess the academic world sort of taught me, you know, it teaches you all like the tangible things about, you know, being, being prepared, uh, musically speaking. So like knowing how to sight read, you know, getting to rehearsal on time, um, all that stuff. And, um, you know, knowing how to play in whatever meters it might be or whatever repertoire you're working on. Um, and so that like kind of gets your foundation together. But I, I think, the real world really teaches you more about actual interpersonal communication, actually dealing with humans. Um, like, sure, if you get to the gig on time, great. But if you're a jerk and nobody wants to work with you, you know, it, that's what makes the difference. So um, just I think the real world teaches you, yeah, to be prepared musically, but also um, it throws things at you that you might not have expected. So you got to be prepared for, for anything that could come your way, you know, musically or non-musically. Okay. And as, as a jazz student, what did you actually expect of the jazz world? Um, coming out of school and into New York? Yes. Hmm. I mean, I guess I was, I didn't think, you know, when I graduated, I was really intimidated by New York and I felt like I wasn't sure that I had a unique voice that would really, I wasn't sure I would get gigs. I wasn't sure I would really make it happen. And, um, I think it surprised me like how small of a, of a world it, it really is and how everyone is, you know, for the, hopefully, you know, for the most part just is a great person and helpful and supportive. And it is kind of like a, a family, um, even though there are so many subsets of the scene, uh, I guess I just, you know, in school and stuff, I had envisioned New York being so cutthroat and scary. And in reality, um, kind of like I answered the last question, I think, you know, if you have your stuff together and you're a good person and you're respectful and helping, helpful and kind, I think that that goes a long way. Okay, that's fair. And what is something that people seem to misunderstand about the jazz world? Hmm. I think some people think that I get a lot of a lot of people asking questions about social media as it relates to the jazz world like as if how many videos you put on social media or how you well how how well you play excuse me on social media means how many gigs you get like in New York and that's in my opinion just not the case and that it's about the real um the real interaction and like actual connections with the people and the, and the band leaders and the band members. And I think a lot of people maybe who look at New York and maybe put New York city's jazz scene on a pedestal. uh, Maybe they only see the players on Instagram or on YouTube or whatever it is. And um, I think that's where, where things can be misleading. Like you don't necessarily just come to New York and get a ton of gigs because you've got a lot of, videos or followers, you know, but at the same time, um, you could kind of get lucky and come to New York and start working right away. So just depends. Well, one thing I do agree with is that jazz artists don't utilize social media as well as the other genres of music. Mm. But you said that you put, they put New York on a jazz pedestal. 
Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of students do when they're in schools maybe that are outside of New York. It's kind of like, oh, what's happening in New York? Like, man, I, I got to get to New York. I feel guilty I'm not in New York. Like, I'm I'm lame. I'm not in New York. <laughs> okay, coming from Connecticut, maybe that's why. But no, seriously, tell me why. What What's a better city than New York in terms of jazz? Or what do you think is an upcoming one? I mean, I think I think New York is the place to be. I mean, but there are so many other places where you can make a living. Like when I was um, like, so growing up in Connecticut, like I was able to come into the city a bunch, which was awesome because I was very close. But I mean, I have friends who lived further away and perhaps have only been to New York a couple of times. And so for them, New York is like the Mecca. It's like this, the big thing. Um, but there are other awesome cities with scenes like Philly has a great jazz scene. Um, I, I loved Rochester's music scene, Boston, LA, of course, um, Michigan with, um, their jazz department there with like Rodney Whitaker, um, and Etienne Charles and all like, there are some amazing people on faculty in Michigan. So I think it just depends. It depends on like, maybe if there's a jazz school or if the, if the city is like really just kind of like culturally happening. Okay. I'm not, I mean, it's your opinion. I can't really argue it. I was just curious on that. <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you been out of college in the music scene professionally? Um, six years. So I finished, I finished, uh, I guess it's, yeah, I finished Eastman in 2014 and I moved to New York in 2015. And then that's when I started working with Diva and Wynton Marcellus in the Jazz Lincoln Center Orchestra started teaching for Jazz Lincoln Center. And it was after a couple of years that I decided to go back to school and get my master's at Juilliard. Um, but I was still touring um, pretty significantly with uh, Arturo O'Farrell, Cecile Salvant, Darcy James Argue um, during that time. Okay. So even though you're not really in the scene long, so what have you noticed that has changed since you've been out the past six years? Uh, what have I noticed in the scene since I moved here? Yeah, has it been declining? Has it been appreciating? Has it been what? Um, I don't think it's been declining. I think, um, to be honest, I feel like a lot of the time I'm out of town. So it's like, it's kind of, it's so interesting as like a jazz musician, you might live in New York, but then so many people are traveling and maybe not even playing in New York so much. Um, so... I don't know. I, I mean, I, I love it here. And I think there are so many great pockets of the scene. Like there's, um, you know, downtown was, there's like smalls and Mesro and then there's smoke and Dizzy's is like one of my hangs. And I think, you know, all of these places book such an awesome wide variety of artists that it really keeps things moving. And you know, I think it's, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens after COVID, but I think if anything, like to answer your question, um, to see how everybody's rallied together during this time in quarantine just goes to show that I think everybody um, wants to support one another, no matter what kind of genre or subset they're in. So overall, I think it's really positive. Okay. We'll get into COVID in a bit, but where do you think the jazz scene will be in 10 years? Hmm. Well, I mean, at the rate we're going now, I think it's quite possible that live performance, that, that uh, I'm sorry, that digital performance will continue to kind of boom. 
um, and that, you know, the online media stuff will continue to just keep going and going. I, I hope that doesn't shrink the demand for live performance, but um, it's quite possible. So I think just like even in terms of education offerings, um, things moving to virtual, I think will be probably the bulk of what happens. Okay. So how has COVID personally affected you? Um, well, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, 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 totally. No, it's just like a lot. Cause it's like, Whoa, we've been here for three months in quarantine. Um, where are you in New York? Man. I'm in New York. Okay, great, great, great. Um, yeah, so I was on the road like when this all hit with with Cecile, and we were doing a string of gigs in California that got shut down. So we like we had the craziest time, like we had the weirdest night, like getting back to New York because it was sort of like frantically everybody trying to get a flight before we thought things were going to shut down in terms of flying and all this stuff. And so I came back and. Um, it, at first it was really nice. It is still really nice to, to be home and to be able to hang in my apartment. Um, but I just, I do miss the traveling, the occasional traveling. I think before I was traveling a ton and it's probably, I wouldn't mind having a bit more of a balance, but financially, like I think all of the freelance musicians felt just a huge drop, uh, especially because the summer is jazz festival season. So you know, all of our tours, all of our, you know, master classes, residencies, everything's canceled. I mean, I've had people through February of 2021 cancel contracts. Um, and with the state of our field, you know, we're not necessarily entitled to like deposits or anything like that. It's just like straight up canceled. So that's definitely been tough, I think, for everybody. Um, what I started doing with, uh, I live with my boyfriend who's a pianist, Stephen Feifke, and we started doing weekly concerts on Sunday nights from our apartment, uh, quarantine concerts. And so we started developing a little bit of a community through that. And that's been very helpful. And we're also um, doing an online jazz camp at the end of June to try to make up for you know, so many people, so many students having canceled camps and stuff. So it's been def. It was definitely hard at the beginning, um, but I've just tried to like adjust to the whole virtual world and come up with as much as I can to keep things, keep my work relevant. I guess. No capitalism at its finest. Supply <laughs> demand. You're fitting it, and you're doing a good job at it. In that case. <laughs> so, is your boyfriend on any of these tracks? Uh, yeah, he's the piano player on the record. On the whole thing, that's yeah, him? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, we were actually like, in, we were traveling like as I was kind of putting this music together. And so it just made sense. And he he wrote a tune, Karma, on the record as well. So. Karma, okay. I know that one too, definitely. <laughs> so you tend to be more in demand or the most instruments as a saxophone player. Would you think so? Say that one more time. As a saxophone player or a reed instrument player, mm. do you think you're in demand more than the other instruments or less? Oh, I see what you mean. Well, I mean, typically, like in a big band setting, you need maybe five saxophones. So I think, um, and, and I play alto saxophone mostly, so that's like two spots versus like, you know, one spot for a bassist or a drummer in a big band. So I think like in terms of those gigs... Um, the, the space, I guess the seats, there are more seats like on those bands 
for a saxophone player. Um, but I don't know. There are so many incredible saxophonists in the city, let alone the world, that I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I'm super in demand, but I, I think um, – I think saxophone is a pretty popular instrument. And I think if you're a saxophonist and you play those woodwind doubles, like clarinet and flute, it does, uh, you know, it makes you more versatile. So and it's an extra reason for people to call you. Okay. You pretty much answered my follow-up question on oh. that, so that's good. <laughs> no. Well, if you could turn back time and speak to your 18-year-old self, would you talk them out of being a musician? No way. No way. Um no, I would probably have told myself just to – I actually would have told myself not to worry about it and to just do it and just go for it. And um, I would tell her that everything's going to be fine because <laughs> I think I was really um, – I mean, I was very he – not hesitant. I knew I wanted to do it, but I was very nervous to see how I compared to everybody else in terms of, like, would I be able to work and would I be able to – like what I cut it on the scene, I guess. Okay. I mean, there are people who came on here and said point blank, yes, I would have talked myself out of doing this. Oh my God. <laughs> well, hey, I mean, thanks for being honest, I guess, right? <laughs> I agree. So <laughs> if you could remove all the barriers, all the constraints, what type of project would you do and who would be on it? Ooh. That is a great question. I would probably do um, okay, I would either do like a studio orchestra thing with a jazz rhythm section, um, playing just like favorite standards and like, you know, uh, ballads, like beautiful, just lyrical melodies with, with improvisation. And I would play like, you know, any of the instruments, whatever it might be, um, saxophone, flute, whatever, but with a jazz rhythm section. And I think I would definitely, I mean, Rudy Royston has been on my past two records. I just love playing with him. Rudy and Joe and Steven on this record were so awesome. And Rudy and Joe and Christian on the first record were so awesome. So those guys I absolutely uh, loved. Um, but I would probably, like, it would be a dream to play with, like, one of those large, you know, symphony orchestras, studio orchestras, like London or something like that. Um, but part two, I think I would want to do something, like, super um, just more all original music, maybe even with, like, a double rhythm section like Rudy, Jonathan Blake, something like that. Like just two drummers, <laughs> two bassists, two I mean, you got my attention when you said two drummers. <laughs> I know, so. right? <laughs> and then like me, I don't know. I just love rhythm section so much. So, um, yeah. I don't know how okay. that would work, but I, that's just thinking a little crazy. <laughs> Trust me, there's no such thing as crazy. If I and... do it, I'll give you credit. <laughs> you got to say, this guy gave this guy. Gee, I want to be one of the drummers. Uh, thing, so. yeah, there we go. <laughs> what is the best compliment you ever received? Ooh. 
Um, well, when I hear from a student or when I hear from someone like online or something, you know, occasionally I'll get a message from maybe a, maybe a young woman who is an instrumentalist in middle or high school or college even that just says like, maybe perhaps she watched a masterclass or a performance of mine or something. And um, I mean, any student could say this, but in particular, like, I really try to be a, a strong role model for young female instrumentalists. And when I hear from one of them that maybe a performance or a class really resonated with them or struck them or, or encouraged them to keep going. Um, that really means a lot to me. And um, I can't really think of any specifics except for this one, which was just a few weeks ago, which was so funny. I was on Winton's Monday Night Conversation series, Skane's Domain. It's uh, through Jazz at Lincoln Center. And he introduced me as a one-woman wrecking crew, which was just so funny. And I don't think he, like, it sounds negative, but I think he just meant, he he went on to, like, add, you know, various avenues that I work in and whatever, the various instruments that I play and all this stuff. But it was just so funny that the way that he said it, like a one woman wrecking crew. And I just, I think that will always make me laugh. No, nah, any, regardless of what people say or think about Winton, he is a legend and getting a compliment like that from him. Yeah. You should be honored. <laughs> I'm actually kind of jealous of that. So oh, good for you, you on that. <laughs> thank you, Leandra. So, one other question about the album, okay? Yes. My Ship. Ooh. Your ending track. Yes. And anyone that knows Miles Davis should know where that came from. Yes, so, Leander. Yes, the best. So, what made you actually choose that track? And Miles is your favorite at all time? Yeah, the Miles Davis, uh, Gil Evans, you know, that's my that's my absolute favorite version of that. Um, and so, I was... I like fell in love with Miles Ahead. I fell in love with that record in college because I was doing some work with Ryan Truesdell, who who leads the Gil Evans Project, which is like a uh, an orchestra that um, plays a bunch of Gills like rediscovered or never before heard charts, and including all the stuff from Miles Ahead. And we actually played it as when I was a student, we took, we took all the music to the Umbria jazz festival in Italy and played it there. And, and Ryan was the one who encouraged me to learn like all these different flutes and oboe and bassoon and all this stuff to play on the gig. So that, um, that was just a big moment, I think in my career, like in deciding to do this as a career. And, um, my ship is just an incredibly beautiful ballad. So I wanted to, kind of pay tribute to that Gil Evans version and play it on alto flute. And I would say that was a great way to end the album. It was like a surprise to me and it was like a, ah, Miles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I enjoyed it. Oh, so. thank you. And Joe Martin plays a beautiful bass solo on it as well in the beginning. Yeah, but the podcast episode is about you, not Joe. <laughs> I love him though. <laughs> so before we go, we normally like to give a shout out or show respects to the artists that came before us. So I'm going to tell you an instrument and two artists. Choose one. And if you wish, tell us why. Okay? Okay. So on trumpet, Clifford Brown or Lee Morgan? Ooh. I'd have to say I think I would go with Lee Morgan. Um, although, oh, man, that's actually a tough one. Um, 
Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Lee Morgan because I feel like I just listened to like Sidewinder and Cornbread so much like when I was when I was in high school and like learned a bunch of those tunes like at summer jazz camps and stuff. So that just takes a special place in my heart, I would say, for Lee. But I love the Clifford with strings. So I don't know. I guess the jury's out. Oh, boo. No, okay, I'll, 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 go, I'll go with Lee. I'll go with Lee because it's like the sentimental side of me, you know. <laughs> okay. So on piano. Okay. Nora Jones or Deanne Carr? Oh, interesting. Um, well, I do love Diana Krall because my dad used to play her records around the house growing up, but I'm going to pick Nora Jones um, because if I could be – I'm not a vocalist by any means, but I, uh, one of my best friends in college, he was a drummer. We had the best time. Like We would hang out in the music building till the wee hours of the morning, and he would like play piano, and I would sing all the songs off of her record, Come Away With Me. You know, like the classic. Yeah, I know. That's a and, most famous album. Yeah, and so we just like loved that that record. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to go with Nora. I like this game. Okay. So on bass, Ellen Wang or Esperanza Spartan? Um, Esperanza. I was um, – I w- got to work – with her, she was um, a faculty member when I was at the Banff Center's j- summer jazz residency in college, and uh, also when I when I was in at the Embryo Jazz Festival, I heard her group. Um, was it Chamber Music Society? Is that what it was called? That was one of them. Yeah, yeah. that group. Um, and so that was great. And yeah, I've just I've just always enjoyed like her interpretations of tunes. Okay. On drums, Terry Carlton or Allison Miller? Ooh, okay. I can't pick one because I love Terry. I love Terry Lynn and I love Allison and I've worked with them both and they're they're both so awesome. Terry Lynn Carrington is amazing and Allison Miller is also amazing. <laughs> Fine. Okay, on saxophone, okay? Yes. Roxy Cross? Roxy. Or Grace Kelly. Okay, yeah. Um, Roxy Koss. She's she's um I mean I mean, you know, props to both, but Roxy Koss is um that's my girl and she's she's just got so much going on and she's killing it. So yeah. But Grace is I mean, Grace is also amazing. Different, very different styles. Mm-hmm. Hey. One thing I must say is I love my females in jazz, and there are a lot of you out there that are killing it. So, so Alexa, please tell the people your social media, where to find you, all that stuff. Of course. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all at, under Alexa Tarantino, T-A-R-A-N-T-I-N-O. And, um, yeah, everything's there. Um, the record... Uh, my the summer online jazz camp with Stephen Feifke, which is called Summer Jazz Online. Um, you can get previous records. Everything's up there. I, I'm more active on Instagram, so if anyone's looking to ask any questions or anything, um, can generally get me there. Okay, on Instagram, no problem. So, thank you for joining us, ma'am. 
Thank you, Leander. It was so awesome to chat with you. Yes, and everyone, this is Leander Young from Improv Exchange. Thank you. Have a good night. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange. <laughs>